This morning we're going back to Revelation chapter 3 and the letters, letters to the seven churches. As we turn there to Revelation chapter 3, it's a good reminder, some wonderful songs that we've just sung about God's provision, God's love, God's mercy and grace. And, and in Sunday school this morning uh, with the one adult group, we were looking over the high priestly prayer as it's often termed in John chapter 17 about when Jesus was praying the night of the Last Supper in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, he, he continued to pray after his highly, high priestly prayer as he's facing the cross. And the reason he faced the cross was so that he could pay for the penalty of our sins, so that we could be forgiven. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, Right? I love that passage. Before we, we move on here, I just want to turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we looked at chapter 10 and, and how, you know, we have to humble ourselves. I also think of uh, Matthew 5 through 7 and Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And one of the the those who are blessed are those who are humble in spirit. And we have to humble ourselves and come to the foot of cross. And so this last song we just sang talked about, had words about, hey, sinner, come home. There's no rest for those who have not turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 and in 5.14 through 21, talks about what Jesus has done and how he's reconciled us to himself. And really, we have a new home with the Lord because we have been brought to be at peace with the Lord, with God, because of what Jesus has done. In verse 21, it says, He made him, that is Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The true home for the human is with the Lord Jesus. But we have to make that decision. We have to turn to him for the forgiveness of our sins. Because we're all sinners. And we come to a church, we look at a church here addressed in Revelation chapter 3 that was to hold on to what they had believed to keep his word in verse 8. Both, both the simplicity and the depth of the richness of God's grace, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they were to hold on to. There's finer points that we've been touching upon as we've gone through uh, these letters to the seven churches. But it's all rooted in the, the simple fact that you have to first place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and then hold on to him. And so in Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13, we're going to once again look uh, at uh, a lot of information. Uh, there's a lot of information in this passage that we won't be able to examine in this brief period of time this morning but it is crucial for us. Josh, would you click on the next slide for me? But it's crucial for us 
to to just press on. So uh, I kind of lost track of where, what I was saying. But anyway, we have a lot of information. We won't be able to get through it all, but we're going to do our best here this morning. Um, and so we're going to turn our attention here again to the sixth church in the city of Philadelphia. And this was an important cr- uh, crossroads, the city of F- Philadelphia. Uh, and, and we often look at its name, City of Brotherly Love. Now, we're not talking about Philadelphia, United States of America. Today, the, the name of the city uh, is different. Uh, I don't know if I can... Aza here, I probably didn't pronounce it right. <laughs> but it's located, and yet last Sunday we looked at Sardis. This city was, is located 25 miles southeast of Sardis. And it was named after a uh, Pergaminian king, or either Amines to or his brother Attalus to. And it was named this because of the king's brother's loyalty or his brotherly love for the king who established the city. Love for one another, brotherly love is a key attribute for a believer in Jesus Christ. So let's read over this passage here. Starting in verse 7, Revelation chapter 3. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, now speaking of Jesus, he who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds, behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut, because you have a little power, and have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause some, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not but lie, I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it any more. And I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. He who, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What a commendation. I believe that there are no negative aspects of this church revealed in this letter. It's quite a commendation. It's quite a praise. After we've looked over several churches with flaws and difficulties... Now, no church is perfect, correct? We're all saved sinners. And by church, again, it's an assembly. It's a gathering. It's a family. It's a group of individuals that come together in the city of Philadelphia here. 
But what we find here, and, and I believe we could say in a, uh, in a way that they are challenged, and so what we find that they are challenged in is that specifically they need to persevere in obedience to Jesus until permanently in his glory, or permanently in glory. And so we're going to look at it this way, that is, let's look at two encouraging charges. The first charge is for them to persevere in his power to do his will. Look at 7 through 9. In verse 7 through 9, we see that they are doing his will, but they're to continue in it. And so they're to persevere. And as we look at this passage... They're to persevere because Jesus gives the opportunities, right? This opening the doors and shutting the doors, giving the opportunity, but also a reality of the sense that they are in his presence because he opened the door to them to be able to come into his presence. It is all by his power. But Jesus is the one that gives them the opportunities, And so we could say, as we look at their example, that we are to obey and they should continue to obey, knowing that Jesus is the one. And the reason we say that is here in verse 7, we see a description of Jesus again. And remember, if we were to read this from chapter 1 on to this point, we would still have that vision of Jesus in our minds. But it goes a little further, and he states it a little differently here, where it says that he who is holy... He who is holy. And I just want to say Jesus is the one. Jesus is everything. Jesus is all that matters. But he is the holy one. And some say, yes, the Messiah is the holy one. And so again, has an allusion to the reality that Jesus is the Messiah. Also, we see that he is perfect. He is set apart. It goes on, and we could say this is another description or can describe holiness. Not only that he's set apart, but there is no imperfection in him. We see in this verse, it goes on to say, who is true? I love John 14, 6, right? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me or through me. But the truth, there again, there is complete perfection in Jesus Christ. He's the one that matters. He is completely authentic, right? Is authentic. We have a newer fridge, but alas, one of the doors compartments broke and so I have to buy an inauthentic door hopefully it's stronger than the one I have it didn't come with the fridge it's it's an aftermarket some of us buy the aftermarket parts for our vehicles or tractors praying that they're good quality right here Jesus is the one and of the greatest purest strongest quality There's no falsehood in him. There's nothing diminished. 
of his character. And we know from Scripture he is fully man and fully God. Nothing diminished. So he's the one that matters. Obey. Obey, knowing Jesus is the one. Obey, knowing Jesus is in control. That is, he has the key, right? Isaiah twenty-two twenty-two says, Then I will set the key of the house of David on his shoulder. When he opens, no one will shut. When he shuts, no one will open. He has the key of David. It refers to a, a, the steward of the treasury or prime minister. Right? If you look at the early history of the United States, there was a little struggle there at the beginning, right? Because of the treasury. The one with the purse has the strength. Maybe. We all, already, we all know in the news right now, there's a struggle over a debt ceiling or not. If you have no money, right, you probably have no power. But here it's a key, and it refers kind of back to Eliakim, who was the steward who controlled the purse, basically, or, or the key to the treasury, and it refers to the reality that Jesus controls the messianic kingdom. Especially in context of this book, we see that Jesus is king. And he will set up his kingdom. But for the believer, it's a praise that Jesus is the one that opened the door and full access to the Father. As we go to Hebrews, we could also look at how he is our high priest. And he has paved the way so that we can enter in. Enter into his kingdom, enter into his grace, enter into eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. Who opened the door? It is Jesus who opened the door because he has a key and he has great power. And he's the one. Praise the Lord, he gives us access to the kingdom. Also, a lot of people look at this passage and see how Jesus is the one who gives us the opportunity in missions. That is, he gave us a great commission, but he is the one that opens up the opportunities to proceed with proclaiming the gospel of God's grace. I think we miss it, though, if we forget the reality that has brought us into. It points to the security in Christ that we as believers have because he's the one that's opened the door. He will not shut us out. It is Jesus who has done this. So we are to obey knowing that Jesus is the one in control. Praise the Lord. You know, when I mess up, I can step back and say, Lord, and I can confess my sin, I can confess my failure, but I can say, thank you, Lord, that it does not completely depend upon me, it depends upon Jesus. It's not an excuse, but it's a relief. We're to press on. We're to persevere because Jesus enables, right? And that kind of goes along with what I was just uh, stating. But as we go on and look at this passage, we see that they obeyed, and they obeyed even when it says they were little. Now, some reason I said I believe this is all a commendation. Some say, well, this is this this these words right here in verse eight. Uh, 
I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut. Because you have a little power, they think, well, that little power, you know, that's, that's saying, hey, this is the one fault they had. They had a little power. They should have had a lot of power. But it goes on, and have kept my word and have not denied my name. There is no but. There's no reference to a change. I believe these are three positive characteristics. Even though they have a little power, they've continued on. I don't think it's a detriment. I think little places and people who think they're little, if we go back to 2 Corinthians, right? Paul and what he said in 12, 9, and 10, when I am weak, he is strong. It is Jesus who enables. Even though you may feel powerless, you have strength in the Lord Jesus. This, this church, even though they had a little power, they were keep, keeping on walking in his strength. And therefore for us, keep on keeping on, right? Have you heard that? Keep on keeping on. Keep shoveling that snow. Don't give up. Maybe take a break. <laughs> Get the next morning. But press on. This is, again, why we looked at 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. His grace is sufficient for you. Rest in His strength. He is the one who enables. But going back, obey even when they slander you. When we come back to this passage, uh, it says, You have kept my word and have not denied my name. We'll come back to that. Behold, I, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who, have, who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. And then he's going to deal with them. But here we see that they're being slandered. And sometimes as a church, we can look at another church and, and we maybe have heard some bad things about that church. Be careful. There are churches that are doing what they ought to be doing and they're still being slandered. We have to be very careful not to judge our brothers and sisters in Christ. Satan is at work. Don't be discouraged. But remember, he's at work. And even if someone or a group of believers do the, they do mostly the right things, remember, there's no perfect person. There's no perfect congregation. But they may do what they ought to be doing, and they still may be slandered. But Jesus knows. Obey even when... They persecute you. And here again we go back to this passage. And what did they do? They kept Jesus' word and they did not deny his name. That gives us an implication that they were being pushed to deny his name. But obey even when they persecute you. Obey by keeping his word. They obeyed it. And then they did not deny who Jesus is. The personal work of Jesus Christ. Moving on, we see that we are to persevere because Jesus will judge the persecutors. And for them, he's telling them, press on. They will be dealt with. Right? Verse 9. 
I will make them, and, and we read that, hey, this is a synagogue of Satan. They say they are Jews but are not, but they lie. I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. I have and I continue to love you. They will know. And so we need to understand that this, even though this is a battle, there's a great reward coming and God will deal with those who have rejected him and have persecuted his church. But obey because Jesus will correct them. A synagogue of Satan. These were a synagogue of Jews who believed that they were doing the right thing like Paul. Saul was, right? Saul. There were many Jews who believed in the early church. They, and we look at Ephesians, right? Paul's talking about he broke down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. Those who are believers in Jesus Christ, those walls have been broken down. But those Jews and Gentiles who have not believed, there is still a big gap. And those Jews or Gentiles, both of them were persecutors of the early church. And here in this city, it seems that there was great persecution from a group of Jews who thought they were doing, like Saul had thought he was doing the right thing. Or maybe they thought they were doing what they should do, even though they felt like it was wrong. Who knows? But again, they were lying about these believers. But he goes on to say, they will bow down. And there's a lot of implication here because we see some messianic uh, picture about someday when Jesus sets up his kingdom, there will be those who come and they will give homage to the Messiah and his people, the Israelites, and they will all be blessed. But here he's saying, you know what? You're not even a part of the kingdom because you have not believed in me, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's been twisted and flipped on its head where they're going to bow down to those who have believed. The ones that they were persecuting. But we are to obey because, not only because Jesus is going to deal out judgment, he's going to correct them, but also because we see of his love. We see his love. He has loved his church. And all will know that Jesus has loved the church of Philadelphia, and I believe all churches who have followed him, all believers. So what matters most is right here in this passage. What matters is love for us. His power, that matters, doesn't it? His divine provision for us to do His will. Doesn't that matter? Can we do it? Yeah. Can we do what He's called us to do? Absolutely. Does He love us? Praise the Lord. There will be an end to this struggle. But persevere in His power to do His will Because at some point there will be a wonderful time where we're permanently in his glory, that is, with him in his eternal as well as millennial kingdom. First his millennial, then his eternal kingdom. The second charge is to 
And, and we're going to cross over here. I, I couldn't divide verse 9 out and make a clean split between 9 and 10. So I included 9 with the next portion of Scripture because it points to the judgment that's coming for unbelievers as well as those who are persecuting them. But for believers, the permanence that we have. And so the second charge is to persevere knowing there is permanence. That is, we have security in Christ. We have an eternal future We will never be removed from his presence. And so from 9 through 13, we find a couple key aspects that reinforce this thought or this charge. Verse 10. Verse 10 is a key verse as well as 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5 that points to the pre-trib rapture of the church. Verse 10 says, Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, that is, they have obeyed, following through, enduring like he's commanded them to, I also will keep you from the hour of testing. And the reason I say this is a whole church, all those believing at that point in time, that hour which is upon about, sorry, about to come upon the, this is why, the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. So what does hour of trial mean, or testing? It is a period of time during which the trial exists. And so the context, again, speaks to the trial of testing during that period of time that's coming up in Revelations here. We're going to end in chapter 4, we're going to begin to see that testing. The context points to the beginning and continuation of the event. John 2, 4 says, And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. In reference to the reality that his time of suffering and death upon the cross is coming. It didn't happen in one little hour. It was a period of time and the, the content of what happened during that time is what was Matt, what he was referring to. Mark 14, 35, and there's several others, but I'm just going to refer to a couple more. And he went a little beyond them and fell to the ground and began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. Mark 14, 41, and he came to the, the third time. This is when Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. It didn't just mean the beginning of that time, but the continuation and the whole series of events that was within that point in time it was now here but important for us as well is not only our but from terre so ek that ek is important that means from it's a preposition not in That would be a different Greek word. Meaning complete removal and keeping from this event which looks forward to the 70th week of Daniel. So who's it talking about again? Just so we're all clear, right? Well, I believe he's talking to the Church of Philadelphia. But also when we look at the context, we see that he's talking about the whole world 
will go through this testing. So I believe it's the church at the time when the hour arrives will be preserved from. And then we go back, and there's some other passages. First Thessalonians, important, right? But what is it? Is again, it's a seven-year period of time, the tribulation, that will take place upon this earth physically, visibly, really, it will happen. It's what's described from chapter 4 on. And so we see a pre-trib rapture of the church, as also seen in other passages But let us note just a couple things that I think are more important than, you know, as we talked about. There's some some distinctions that are important. It does affect how you think. This does not affect you in how you think as much as having a post or all-millennial view of the millennial kingdom. The church has not replaced Israel. We have not replaced Israel. They're still valued by God, and we need to respect all Jews and care about them. Okay? Anti-Semitism is on a rise. We need to fight against anti-Semitism. It's on a rise. But this does not. Uh, your view of where the church is, is taking, taken from the, the, this period of testing does not affect a lot of theology, it does affect some. So what really matters, again, is the gospel, right? Do they believe? But it does affect you. And it is, if you don't have a pre-trib perspective, if you don't, you're wrong. Okay? I'm just going to say it. Because context teaches us everything, okay? But, but if you know Jesus is your Savior, that's what matters, Right? But what is going to happen? So this is, get back to it. I was trying to get to what really matters here. Let us note, okay? The test is yet future. It is for a definite limited time. It will expose people as to who or what they are. Look at verse 10. It will expose who or what they are. You know, as a believer, we may, we will have persecution. We will have struggles when we are tested and we are refined. But this, he's saying, this is a little different. And praise the Lord that, that He is working in us to grow. He's working in us to see where we are. And someday in the future, and for all unbelievers, they are being tested. They are being convicted. Every difficulty, as well as blessing, should point them to Jesus Christ. And when we look at the rest of Revelation, we see that there's going to be a continuing, uh, uh, not only judgment of God, but opportunity for them to repent. As the judgments come that are harsher, Some will believe and some will repent. But for the masses, most of humanity, their hearts already hard. It's going to become harder. Their neck's going to be more stiff. It's kind of like working with livestock sometimes. You have the open door for them, but they will not enter in. Right? Maybe you're pulling a rope up through the door from their head, And they're pulling back even harder. And all you want to do is move them to where there's better feed. Right? 
That's humanity. And that's throughout from Genesis to Revelation, we see that. So are we humble of spirit? Have we turned to Jesus Christ? And you say, well, maybe I, I don't really agree on all of these notes that Pastor Lee has said. One thing you need to agree on is, have you entered into the door of salvation, through, which is Jesus Christ? Have you believed? Some will repent, but many will not. So, as we move on, persevere, knowing Jesus will keep you from the hour. And so, for the believer, so one of the key points, right, is that we can celebrate. We have something to look forward to. Praise the Lord. Persevere. Look at verse 11. Persevere, knowing Jesus is coming quickly. It's, he's coming quickly. And this, verse 11, also points to the reality this is speaking to uh, the tribulation that he is coming quickly. And so we're to hold fast. Keep on keeping on in your obedience to press on in the faith. Praise the Lord they had faith. Praise the Lord. I hope every one of you have turned to Jesus Christ by faith. And because of that faith, they are obeying. They continue to believe in Jesus. No one will take your crown, your reward, which is eternal life and glory. There's a lot more that we should speak on this, but I've taken a lot of time up already. But there is security in Christ. If you keep holding to him, no one will take your reward. Only the nearness of the Lord's coming here in this passage, uh, only the nearness of the Lord's coming to reward the faithful provides an effective motive, an effective motive to be tenacious. Look at verse 11. How tenacious are you? I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown. Jesus is coming. You str- are you struggling today? Are you sick of shoveling the snow? Are you sick of shoveling the stuff that the world hands you? I'm a pastor, so I have to say stuff instead of other things. Okay? I don't have to. But I, okay, anyway. Um, the world hands us a lot of stuff. Are you sick of shoveling it? Hold on. He's coming quickly. You can be tenacious. Right? When you think you're about done, sometimes, especially in basketball practice, maybe a football practice, you're running, you're running your, your sprints and fourth quarter drills and, you know, you don't know when it's going to end. When you know it's going to end, you can give it a little extra oomph, right? We're supposed to continue to give that extra oomph. Persevere knowing Jesus gives you permanence as well. Look at this verse, last verse. And it's got a lot of allusion to later on in Revelation. He who overcomes, remember we've looked at this and talked about this, just as verse 13, he who overcomes in verse 13, who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the seven churches. These are repetitive things that's spoken. You know, those who believe are overcomers. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Praise the Lord that we have overcome because of Christ is in our life. But it goes on. I will make him a pillar. We have an allusion to the, the end of Revelation. Okay, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he will not go out from it anymore. There is permanence. And I will write on him the name of my God and the names of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God in my new name. 
Persevering knowing Jesus gives you permanence. A pillar shows stability. A pillar represents permanence. A pillar represents immovability. And it can also show honor or represent honor. Not go out from. They will have an eternal place of honor and therefore security in Jesus' kingdom, which is eternal life. They will have the name of his God, depicts ownership. Believers belong to God and it also points to intimate relationship with him forever. Eternal citizenship, the name of city, right? Future holds several, several aspects of his kingdom beginning with the thousand-year reign of Christ. But there's also the new heaven and new earth. It shows our presence and our belonging to the eternal kingdom. His new name represents the fullness of who Jesus is. He is fully God and fully man. And in 1 John 3, 2, it says, we will be like him for when we see him, we will... I should go to that passage because I just slaughtered it. All right. Used to have it memorized. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when when he appears, we will be like him because because we will see him just as he is. Here it points to the reality, his new name, Jesus Savior, but also Messiah, King. In Revelation 19, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The fullness of who Jesus is. Have you turned to Jesus? You know, Philadelphia had been decimated by earthquakes. It was a wonderful city, they say in the history books but it was decimated by some nasty earthquakes and and the aftershocks of which left the people paralyzed. And so even though there were some remaining dwellings within the city, people had moved out and were living in huts because they were too scared to live within the city. And when this was written there, it wasn't too many years, many years later, they still remembered this. Maybe there were still some who lived on the outskirts of town because they were scared of the earthquakes. So they were fearful that they, so fearful that they were incapacitated. And here we have a letter to this church, press on, keep doing what you're doing. Don't be fearful you will be spared from something far worse. It spoke to them that they would have permanence and security in Jesus. And even though uh, they had much to deal with, they had much to look forward to. And for us today, I just want to challenge you to press on in the Lord Jesus Christ. Granted, there's always things that we can do better. So we must be people walking with Jesus daily. Spirit-filled, spirit-led believers. There are good principles. There are good ways to go about sharing the gospel. Written out. 
There are some fantastic principles and things written out how we should live. But none of that matters if we are not walking with Jesus daily. Because he's the one who's going to tell us. He's the one who's going to prompt us. He's the one through his spirit who's going to guide us to do it exactly the way that is the best way to reach the most people to give him the greatest glory. Are you following Christ? Are you walking with him daily? There's much to look forward to. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time that we can come together and look, to, look at your word. Thank you for good examples in your word. And we thank you that you don't ever take out the bad examples from scripture. You reveal to us uh, those who have failed, not only in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament. And you show us your wonderful and powerful grace, even to those who we may judge don't deserve it. Maybe we don't think we deserve it. And we don't. None of us do. And that's why your grace is so powerful. Thank you for what you've done, Jesus, so that we could receive the grace, your grace. Help us to go out and live a life that would fully uh, declare your wonderful love and mercy and grace. Help us to be aware of our weaknesses, uh, willing to confess those. Help us to live in your strength and not in ours. So help us to be aware of our weaknesses in that we will rest in and have our confidence in you. Thank you, Lord, and I pray that you'd guide each one of us this week. Bless each one so that each one can be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning we have some young men come forward to take up the offering.